0: Podcast. The battle for the U.S. Congress from democracy to the economy to abortion. The stakes in this year's midterm elections are high. But in a divided country, what really shapes voters choices and what will it mean for Joe Biden's presidency? I'm Patty Colhane, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guests. Joining me here in Washington, D.C., Niambi Carter. She's an associate professor at the School of Public Policy at the University of Maryland. Brett, Brett Bruin is a former director of global engagement in the White House under President Barack Obama. And Adolfo Franco, he is a Republican strategist and assistant administrator of the United States Agency for International Development under President George Bush. A WARM WELCOME TO THE PROGRAM. THANK YOU. I WAS SO EXCITED WHEN THEY TOLD ME THAT THEY WANTED ME TO BE PART OF THIS CONVERSATION BECAUSE I'VE BEEN, NOT TO AGE MYSELF, <laughs> I'VE BEEN COVERING AMERICAN POLITICS SINCE THE EARLY 90s IN IOWA. I HAVE NO CLUE HOW THIS ELECTION IS GOING TO GO AND I'VE NEVER SAID THAT BEFORE IN ALL OF MY <laughs> YEARS COVERING ELECTIONS. SO JUST FOR OUR AUDIENCE A LITTLE perspective the president's party almost always Mm -hmm. loses seats in the House and the Senate uh, in the midterm elections. The Cook Political Report said since the Civil War, the president's party lost the House 37 out of 39 times, Mm -hmm. 92 Mm percent.
1: So I'm going to go to each one of you. Predict for me the House of Representatives. What's going to happen? Oh, I think Republicans are going to take back the House. I think that's Without question, at this point, while the margin of victory has adjusted a little bit, I think it went from being like a 96 percent certainty to maybe like a 94 percent certainty, it's still pretty clear that Republicans are going to take the House.
2: So Brett, uh, are they going to take the house and is it gonna be big? Well, that's the real question is how much are they gonna win by? Mm -hmm. And if they do uh, exceed expectations. And and again, yes, everybody um, believes that they will win, but if we're talking double digits in terms of seats that they have, That is going to give them something of a mandate, and they're going to use that mandate to try, as you mentioned, mounting investigations, mounting at every turn uh, roadblocks for Biden in his last two years.
3: Okay, Adolfo, what do you think? Well, we're close enough now to the election that we can make a solid prediction. The House will go definitely for the Republican Party. They just need five seats uh, to take the majority but you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is the size of the majority, not only because of a mandate, but a working majority for the new incoming speaker, who will likely be Kevin McCarthy of Mm -hmm. of California. There are uh, factions in the Republican Party, just as there are in the Democratic Party with Alexandria Mm Ocasio-Cortez and the progressive. Had to name her. Exactly. (laughs) I'm still waiting for uh, a Republican who doesn't bring her up. But uh, you need to have uh, a working majority of at least 20 to 30 seats for Kevin McCarthy to control that caucus, meaning the Republican, the new Republican majority. So I think the key that night will be if it's under 20, it will still be a Republican controlled Congress, but it'll be very diff- difficult to pass legislation among even Republicans. If it's closer to the 40, then he, ha- he can lose 10, mm-hmm. 15, 20 members consistently and still be able to pass legislation.
0: Now, let's move on to the Senate, because this is fascinating to me. These races are insanely Mm -hmm. tight. Like, Mm -hmm. every poll is within the margin of error. Now we can get into whether polling actually works anymore in the post-shame area of politics. Um, But what do you think, Senate?
3: Well, a couple of things. I think you're absolutely right about this. It's a question about Mm -hmm. polling. Uh, That's, I think, going to be the most interesting thing um, the next day, is if the polls were accurate, because there's a lot of controversy where people answer polls, if they're telling the, the, the pollsters what they really believe. So, uh, but to answer your question, I think polling will, is going to be on the ballot in, in many ways. Uh, the answer to your question is, I think it all points to Republican uh, holds. There are really four key races everyone's looking at, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Nevada, and Arizona. Republicans need to win two of those, really. Uh, to have uh, a majority of 51 so just statistically speaking it probably will be possible uh, to do that particularly Nevada and Georgia look to be the most promising for Republicans
0: we'll get to Georgia in a minute but that's a whole other (laughs) what's going uh, on in Georgia story Uh, Brett what do you think are you a little bit more hopeful
2: uh, unfortunately, I'm not, no. I think the Republicans are likely to take the Senate probably around 52 seats. An extra margin in the Senate will give Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. more room. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Adolfo didn't mention, which I think for our international viewers will be important to take account of, is that if Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell have a little bit of wiggle room, that actually can be beneficial for our politics, because it means that they can ignore the Freedom Caucus in the House, which sits on the outer extremity of even Republican MAGA politics. And that could leave some room for compromise. And so it is important in some ways, if the Republicans get a wider majority, they don't have to hew to that extreme uh, edge of the party quite as often.
0: Are you a unicorn, a Democrat who thinks it's actually better if, if for the country that if the Republicans win big?
2: Well, it, it is a peculiar position it to really see, but at the same time, it's true because just like in our party, where you know the progressive caucus can push uh, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden out, and they have over the last couple of years. In the next two years, if we have a party that is driven by the Marjorie Taylor Greens, by uh, some of the Jim Jordans and others who really are trying to pick fights, who are trying to push the Republicans even farther out into uh, the, the outer rings of the universe of political philosophy, That's dangerous. Of normalcy. Mm -hmm. Of normalcy. Yeah. And so I think in some ways, in in a strange logic and calculation, as a Democrat who's looking out at at the polls right now and saying, what's the silver lining? That's a silver lining in a big Republican wave.
1: Mm Yambi, Look, I, I can't disagree with my colleagues, right? I mean, I think the Republicans have the wind at their backs right now. I don't know that there's enough of a compelling case when you think about what's pushing people to show up on Tuesday or early voting, right? Um, And we know that inflation, right? Right. We know that is pushing people um, and they're really deeply unhappy. People feel uncertain, people feel insecure. And we know that usually plays well for Republican politics, quite frankly. We're gonna get into that in a minute, but I think
0: the bigger question for, especially for an international audience is what President Biden's been saying. Primetime speech, democracy, the fate of democracy Mm -hmm. is on the line Mm. at
1: this election. Is it? And how so? Well, look, I mean, I think we're a young democracy. I think people think about our democracy as beginning when our country began, but it really didn't begin until 1965. So we are a very young democracy. You want to explain 1965? Yes, I'm sorry. So the Voting Rights Act of 1965 really ensured for the first time that most racial and ethnic minorities in the U.S. could participate in the electoral process. In some ways, you can view it as kicking out the sort of old authoritarians in the South who are really blocking uh, black access to the ballot, but also access for indigenous people, Latino people, Asian people. So you don't really get full democracy in the United States until 1965 and after so we're a young democracy and i think when we look at some of the races in some of these key states whether we're talking about georgia some of these other states we're also talking about places that have been more restrictive and starting to sort of call if you will the electorate Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just through you know access to the ballot it's also through gerrymandering like we've seen in tennessee and other places where we have candidates or parties essentially picking their voters. And that's happening on both Democratic and Republican Mm -hmm. sides. It's not a a sort of one-sided thing. So the problem, I think, when we talk about this electoral process, we're talking about it um, from this perspective of this election means that if people don't accept the outcome, will we see more January 6th-like behavior? Will we see more whittling away at public trust in the integrity of our elections? And I think... That is true. Now, will it be more violence like January 6th? Maybe not, but I think the sort of subtle calling into account our institutions and saying, well, these congressional investigations aren't really working, right? They're not truly nonpartisan. It's You know, secretaries of state who are also on the ballots in some of these same places where we saw lots of election denials saying we won't confirm, mm -hmm. right? These electoral outcomes, that's a really insidious kind of chipping away at democracy. It's an experiment. It's a verb. And if we don't protect it and if the people that we're electing to protect it say this is not working because my side didn't win, it's cheating, then I think we are in trouble, For those who might not know gerrymandering is i think it was a guy
0: named jerry who drew a district that looked like a salamander Salamander. um and so basically these they use the census data so a lot of these congressional districts they're drawn and both parties do this they figure out where their voters are and the district doesn't look like a circle it looks any i mean you can find any number of bizarre shapes so that's playing a part but brett are you worried
2: you know what i'm worried most for is november 2024 Hmm. because you likely are going to have republican control of congress which wasn't the case in 2020 and so now you have trump returning to uh, a presidential election with republicans firmly in control in congress as well as in a number of key states that is a dangerous moment and that's a moment which uh, stands out to me as one where democracy truly Will be hanging in the balance i think the democrats have an opportunity in this election to show what democratic behavior looks like accept the result and and don't call into question some of the institutions don't call into question some of the practices and start focusing now on our message for 2024 because another opportunity for democrats lies in the fact that some of those candidates like uh herschel walker in georgia like kerry lake in arizona may end up defining republicans and certainly with the help of donald trump uh, they can and i think the um, blockages that we're likely to see here in washington may lead to trouble for the republicans in 2024 so that for me is the key moment but as folks overseas may not know our presidential elections start on wednesday and that is going to be a long road to the white house and and it's going to be a difficult campaign it's a
0: really functional system (laughs) <laughs> uh, I
3: see you champing at the bit well, over there.
2: I am a little bit. You know, it's
3: a I'll do respect to my friend. It's amazing how they fear the American people. Uh, you know, the, the president has said, uh, I think in a very divisive, inflammatory way, democracy's on the ballot. No, the ballot is democracy. I think he has it wrong. The ballot is democracy. So the will of the American people, their decision is not questioned uh, if they win. It's amazing that the questioning comes when they lose. I suppose Stacey Abrams, who never accepted her defeat, who said she's still the governor of Georgia... Okay, who, no, well, let, well, no, wait, well, wait, no, but she's... But she's a national, inside baseball, but, Well, but well the, the point is this. They... No, I don't think it's inside baseball. She the didn't leader, say the she, election was stolen. She said she won the election. She never accepted the election, and she never conceded. That's, those were her words. Hillary Clinton, the former nominee, has said the election was stolen from her. Now, when this comes to the liberal press and the liberals and the left, this is just past the bread. But when the, the American people are choosing their elected representatives and what appears to be, including in Georgia, record turnout that we are seeing and, and level of enthusiasm in both parties, if the outcome is not what they want, there is a threat to democracy. By the way... These, many of these Trump candidates who will win were being financed by the Democratic yeah, Party during we'll the get primaries. Into that, but so to, it's amazing that their threat for democracy is very short-lived. We'll, we'll
0: get into that. But, Azelfo, I have to ask you, I saw that you said the what happened on January 6th was the mob, mm-hmm. not an insurrection. Correct. Uh, the definition of insurrection is a violent uprising against an authority or government. And I have to, full disclosure, I was there that day. I was covering sure I? it. I was surrounded by an angry, terrifying mob. And I've done some really scary stories in my life. Never have I been that scared on an assignment in my life. How,
3: how was it not an insurrection when their goal was to stop the election? Well, a mob of people can do anything they want, but an insurrection suggests an organized effort. There is absolutely, with all due respect, I have a different opinion, no evidence that that has been the case at all. In fact, there was a Justice Department, which I trust more investigation, prior to this partisan committee that is in, in the Congress that's deciding, that's looking into this matter. There's that, two Republicans that, on it. Oh, they, they were not appointed by, the first time in the history of the United States, they were not appointed by the speaker. And there are two, <laughs> two Republicans that are really functionally Democrats. It's, it's a joke and everybody knows it to be. But let me ask you, answer your question. Was it a concerted 93-day attack on the courthouse in Portland, Oregon, an insurrection? they protesting
0: police violence.
3: Police violence? They weren't trying to
0: turn over an election. Uh, well, they, they,
3: were trying to un, un, they were trying to undo the judicial branch of the United States, taking over parts of Seattle, burning down things. Okay, I, right. I, the, 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 wait, the, the attorney general of Massachusetts saying we have to burn down the system? That is not... An assault on democracy? I'm going to move
0: on from here, but you know what didn't happen in Portland? They didn't try to hang the vice president. They didn't injure 140
3: I'm not officers. justifying a mob, Patty, in any sense of the, of the Don't words, You can't compare... But,
0: anyway, but, but. we're moving on. Um, so I am concerned about where this country is right now when it comes to political violence. Maybe our viewers don't know this, but in Arizona, because of the big lie, we've just had people show up with masks and guns and stakeout polling places. A judge has now put some restrictions on them. But let's think about Paul Pelosi. He is an 82-year-old man who was in the middle of the night. Someone broke into his house, someone who has, uh, believes the election was stolen, believes conspiracy theories, wanted to come after his wife, the Speaker of the House, beat him in the head with a hammer. And some Republicans are actually making light of this. Now, let's just listen to this. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in DC. Apparently, her house doesn't have a lot of protection.
3: But... Listen, I want to stop for a minute and, and uh, listen, Speaker Pelosi's husband, uh, they had a break-in last night in their house and he was assaulted. There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're gonna send her back to be with him in California. That's what we're gonna go do. That's what we're gonna go do.
0: That was Carrie Lake, the Republican candidate for governor of Arizona and the current governor of Virginia, Yunkin. There's also been some really uh, tweets, some interesting tweets. Ted Cruz, a senator from Texas, he retweeted someone questioning whether the attacker's motivation. Now, on social media, he is an election denier, as I mentioned, conspiracy theorist. Instead of saying he was a liberal, uh, someone wrote that, you know, he was... that this guy was a liberal, that it's impossible to think that he was uh, for Republicans. And Ted Cruz retweeted that, saying truth. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney sent out over a picture of a bunch of guys with hammers outside of a house um, and just wrote, LOL. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out a pair of underwear, which Mr. Pelosi was wearing because he was sleeping in his house at 2 in the morning, and a hammer. And he wrote, got my Paul Pelosi Halloween costume ready. The Don Jr. is beyond the pale. I mean, he's an 82-year-old man who had to have surgery and was in the ICU for six days and has a very long recovery. Not a politician, just, yeah. How did we get here?
1: Well, I think we've been sliding to this place for a very long time. I mean, the polarization that we're seeing, I think, is probably more than we've seen, but we've been moving here since the Reagan years, and it's been a steady march. And I think when we see a deterioration in... Political conversation, when we pick people not because we think they have the best way forward, but because they can create a world of an us versus a them um, that makes us feel comforted and safe, I think that's how we get here. And I think what's really disturbing about this conversation, whether we're talking about election denial, whether we're talking about whether it's a mob or insurrection, splitting those kinds of hairs and not being able to call a thing a thing without saying, "Well, well, the other guy did it too. That's not the point. Well, Something wrong happened. It no, it isn't, actually. Saying it. that January 6th should have never happened doesn't indict one or the other. It's just calling it what it is.
3: And, and, and so saying, was Portland. And <laughs>
1: saying... But a, a protest is not the same thing oh. as saying we're going to halt the county That's of votes... That's not vote a protest. And bring me Nancy Pelosi and bring me Mike Pence erecting a gallows That's not the same thing, and I think this is the deterioration of discourse that we're talking about. It's not that we can't disagree. It's not that even we can't say, hey, our person was wrong, but if you're going to do every time somebody says, hey, this is a bad idea, this is terrible, and you're going to say, oh, no, but the other guys made fun of this, too, that's not okay. We're
0: running out of time, but I do want to point out Washington Post has looked at the 569 GOP candidates for House, Senate, and key state races, uh, and 51 percent— deny the 2020 election. There is a Supreme Court case that's going to come up that might give state legislatures full control over how legislations go. So if election deniers are in charge of the elections... So let me ask you this, and I need you to be very brief. What happens if Trump's candidates win? Let's go to Brett, because we we don't Mm -hmm. have much time.
2: I I think, unfortunately, we are going to see further erosion, both in terms of the voting process. You're going to see... um, the voting, the places where you can vote restricted. You're going to see more uh, places uh, go away. But also, I think we are going to lose what remains of some semblance of fact-based policy. We're going to start making policy based on uh, conspiracy theories. We're going to make policy based on the whims of uh, a former president who's just trying to stay relevant. And I just want to add one additional point. The Democrats have to really go back and rework their message, because if they couldn't find a winning message after Mm -hmm. January Mm sixth, after uh, the efforts by the Supreme Court and Republicans to so radically restrict control over one's body, if they couldn't find a a winning message after uh, a a successful effort to defend Ukraine from a Russian invasion, I don't know. WHAT uh, THEY NEED IN ORDER TO WIN ON.
0: Uh, WE'RE ONLY DOWN TO ONE MINUTE. Eldalfo, IF TRUMP'S CANDIDATES LOSE, DOES TRUMPISM DIE?
3: NO, I, AND I DON'T THINK THEY WILL LOSE. YOU HAVE TO REMEMBER THE SO-CALLED TRUMP CANDIDATES uh, the people who didn't get the nomination were all asking for President Trump's <laughs> uh, uh, endorsement they just President Trump just happened to pick one of them so 87 uh, percent of Republicans uh, support President Trump that's just a fact
0: but but, but Republicans also like power but uh, we have to stop the discussion uh, oh, there so I know this was such a fun discussion <laughs> I still have Absolutely no idea what's going to happen on Tuesday, but it's going to be consequential. I think we can say that. So thanks to all of our guests, Niambi Carter, Brett Bruin, and Aldolfo Franco. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced in Washington, D.C. by Mohamed Al-Ashi, Akila Joseph, and Osama Aluni. Studio sound was by Luke Roher. The program was edited by Lynn Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.